Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. The title of my message tonight is this, No Do-Overs. No Do-Overs. And that might sound a little bit strange to you, but just hold on and I hope we'll give you some help here with that tonight. You know, when you were kids, when we were kids, there were times that you did something that you wished you could take back and you usually maybe said something like this, oh, do-over. You ever do that? Hey, do-over. Um, you know, you were playing a game and maybe you uh, had a bad toss of the dice. And it's like, oh, oh, wait, wait, do-over. Oh, the dice went off the table. Hold on a second. Oh, you know, uh, uh, you try to manufacture some rule to be able to get another toss. Do-over. Uh, that's uh, something you do. You know, you're you were playing baseball, you struck out, but, uh, you know, the sun was in your eyes. And so, oh, wait, do over it. Well, you know, it wasn't my fault. Um, you know, you, you were racing, you know, the other kids and you tripped and fell and, you know, they, they, someone else won. And, oh, do over, do over. You know, I fell. You know, that's something that, that, that kids do. They, they want to just do everything over uh, when it doesn't go the way that they want it to. Now, uh, adults really don't have a do-over. Uh, well, unless you're playing golf, uh, there is something uh, in golf uh, that's a do-over. That's called a mulligan. And that means uh, if you didn't like your shot, uh, you get to take another one. Now, where is that in the rule book? Well, you got to squint pretty hard to find that uh, in the USGA rule book. But uh, the mulligan means I, I get to do it over again. But, you know, uh, as an adult, we understand that really in life, well, there is no do-over, is there? That when a decision is made, when something is done, uh, that it is done and what is done is done. You know, when it comes to life, there's always forgiveness. Could I, could I be clear about that tonight before you get a little bit too concerned about my title? Uh, there is always forgiveness for the bad decisions we make in life. But there's no do-overs. There's always forgiveness, and I'm so thankful for that because I've made some bad decisions in my life. You no doubt have as well because, well, you're a person. There's always forgiveness, but there's not a do-over. And we have to be careful with the things that we do and the things that we say because those things that we say that we can't take back is like the old saying of the toothpaste that's out of the tube that you can't put back in no matter how hard you try. Now, tonight, we're going to look again at Jephthah. Jephthah was a man of faith. Jephthah was a mighty man of valor. Jephthah did some amazing things, but he made one incredibly foolish decision for which there is no do-over. And I believe there's a connection for us here tonight if we focus in, and I hope that it'll be a help to you. Will you please stand for the reading of God's word if you're able? Judges chapter 11, beginning in verse number 29. Judges 11, beginning in verse number 29. The word of God says this, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, passed over Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into my hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Now, did you catch what he said here? He said, Lord, if you will give us victory in the battle, the first thing that walks out of my house, when I come back in peace, that's what I'm going to sacrifice. Now, he vowed a vow. He said, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. And certainly he was earnest. 
Certainly, he was desirous of the Lord's blessings. We're going to look at why that is in just a moment. Uh, but he gave his word about something that he probably didn't really think through very well. And it continues on in verse 32. So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from Aurora, even till thou come to Mineth, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards, and a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And this tells us that this was not just one battle that God gave them the victory. There was an entire campaign, at least 20 cities that were taken during this time. So Jephthah, this mighty man of valor over weeks or months, however long we don't know, doesn't just take a city of the people of Ammon. He systematically uh, takes them and defeats them over and over again. And no longer are the children of Israel under their control. So it says in verse 34, And Jephthah came to Mitzpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. Remember, we mentioned that last week, his only child, this daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me. It's ironic. He says, thou, thou art the one that troubled me. He's the one that made the vow in the first place. She's just coming out to greet her father victorious in war. And for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. You say, pastor, does that mean? And she said unto him, my father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceedeth out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of mine enemy of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. And she said unto her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months, that I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity. I am my fellows. And he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months, and she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of the two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed, and she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileite four days in a year. Well, we've gone from the very heights to the very depths in one chapter in the life of Jephthah. Jephthah, a man, by the way, you may be seated. Uh, Jephthah, I figured if I'm going to stand the whole time, you might as well too. But, uh, but uh, Jephthah, a man who was deemed a failure but who God used in a great and mighty way as he submitted himself to the Lord. He did not submit himself to vengeance. He did not submit himself to bitterness. He did not submit himself to anger, but rather he submitted himself to the Lord. And because of that, he was the type of man that not only was God able to use, but that was called a mighty man of valor. And that was also name checked in Hebrew chapter 11, the great faith hall of fame. You know, it's likely as you read this text and as you're listening to me read the text a few moments ago, a whole slew of questions came into your mind, and I understand that. So we really need to kind of go back a little bit to some of the space between last week's text and this week's text to really take a look uh, at what's going on here uh, in what we just read. Again, you'll remember that the children of Ammon have the people of Israel uh, under their control. That really goes back to chapter number 10, when God says, uh, you have over and over and over have uh, transgressed, you have over and over, have served false gods. He says, if you think those gods are so powerful, remember chapter 10, he says, well, why don't you call upon those gods and see if they will help you? Because I am not going to help you anymore. 
And then we saw the people of Israel had true repentance. And we know that because they said to the Lord, listen, whatever you do, uh, we really want to be right with you first, and you do what's right in your own eyes. And that's a good sign of real repentance. It's not bargaining with God. God, if you forgive me, then I'll give you something else in return. It's God, we know we've transgressed against you. We ask for your forgiveness, and you do what seemed right in your own eyes. And it was at that time when they repented in this humble manner that Jephthah arrives on the scene. And so Jephthah is going to be the one that his own people come to him, even though they had rejected him earlier uh, as one who was a half-breed, as one who had been uh, the son of a harlot. Uh, they came back to him because, remember, he had amassed this collection of vain fellows. And we saw last week that the vain fellows, it wasn't that they were vain, that they looked in their mirrors all the time, but it was that they were living empty lives, kind of like he did. And this man who had lived an empty life but submitted it to the Lord and felt fulfilled, was able to be a blessing to others who lived empty lives and helped them feel fulfilled with the Lord. And so he'd amassed quite a little bit of an army at this time. And so the people who had rejected him a few years ago came to him and said, will you come and break off the yoke of the people of Ammon from us? And so he says, I don't mind helping you. He says, I'm going to go and we're going to receive a victory. He says, but you're not going to use me and then cast me off to the side. He says, I know how you've treated me in the past. He says, if you want me to be your general, then I'll also be your judge. And he says, I will serve you uh, in battle, but I will also serve you in peacetime as well. They agree to this. And then Amnon, in the verses that we did not read between last week's text and this week's text, uh, Jephthah goes to the people of Ammon and tries to reason with them. And he doesn't go in a war footing right off the bat. He actually tries to negotiate with them. And starting in verse number 13, uh, he talks to the people of Ammon. Uh, or really, verse number 12, it says, And Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon, saying, uh, Why, What hast thou to do with me? Uh, that thou art come against me to fight in my land. And the king of Ammon answered, and he basically says, look, the land that you are in is really our land. And boy, doesn't that sound familiar? Uh, that there are two parties in the Middle East fighting over whose land that it is. Uh, that's not something that just arrived on the scene at the end of the 1940s. Uh, that's something that's been going on now uh, for century after century, for millennia, uh, that's been taking place in the Middle East. And so you find that during this time uh, that Jephthah and the king of Ammon have this back and forth. And in that, Jephthah reminds the king of Ammon, he says, listen, we've never been against you. We've never had a problem with you. May I remind you, Jephthah tells the king of Ammon, that we can go all the way back to the time when we were walking through the desert with Moses, that you despitefully treated us. We had nothing to do with you. We were just trying to be peaceful with you. You were the one that picked the fight. Uh, you were the one that transgressed against the holy God. And God was the one that gave us the deed to this land Far before you were there, the land belongs to Abraham, the land belongs to us. And then Jephthah, in his boldness, in verse number 24, tells the king of Ammon this. He says, Wilt not thou possess that which Chemosh, thy God, giveth thee to possess? And he puts a little spin off of what God had said in chapter number 10. Remember, in chapter number 10, God told the people of Israel, he says, If you think your gods are so powerful, you call to them instead of calling to me. Uh, rhetorically telling them, Listen, you have fallen away from the only God that has power, and you have worshiped gods who have no power. And so here, Jephthah, almost mocking in a way, tells the king of Ammon, you think Chemosh, the God, uh, is powerful? You think he's the one that gave you the land? Well, appeal to him, and well, you'll win the victory, no doubt, because he's your God, right? And of course, Jephthah understands what we understand. Chemosh, or whatever the name of the God could be, it could be Baal, it could be Astaroth, whoever it is, they're not real gods, and so there's no power there. And so Jephthah mocks them. Uh, Jephthah says, uh, uh, you, you want to fight? You, well, you call upon your God, I'll call upon my God, and we'll see who wins. 
It almost harkens to what David will do in the future, doesn't he? Uh, he says uh, to Goliath, he says, not that you have defied me. He says, thou hast defied the living God. And so Jephthah basically does the same thing. He throws down the gauntlet and he says, what I'm doing here, I'm doing for the one true God. And that gets us to where our text is here. And in fact, even before that, verse number 27, I find this interesting. I just want to throw this in there where it says, wherefore, I have not sinned against thee, but thou doest me wrong to war against me. This is Jephthah speaking. The Lord, the judge be judged this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. I don't know about your Bible, but in mine it says the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah God, the judge, capital J for judge, meaning what? What's one of the names of God? The judge. Jephthah's going to be a judge, but who's the real judge? God. Uh, hey, I'm a shepherd of this church, but who's the real shepherd? It's God. Uh, hey, there's earthly kings in this lifetime. Uh, we find even right now there's a new king in England, isn't there? But who's the king of kings? Uh, it's God. Uh, and so uh, he, he, we find here that, that he says, look, I may be the judge, but you're really transgressing against the real judge. You don't know who you've messed with here. And so we get to verse number 29. It says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh and passed over Mitzpah of Gilead. And from Mitzpah of Gilead, he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into my hands, that it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Now, Jephthah could have easily fixed this by saying, Whatever comes first out of my barn, instead of what comes out first out of my house. I don't know what he thought was going to come out of his house when he got home. It seems like there was a wife, there was a daughter, and that was about it. So I don't know what he thought was going to happen when he got to the house, but that's the vow that he made. Now you say, Pastor, it, why would he say something like this? Why would he even, why would he even feel the need to make such a dire vow uh, to be able to get a hold of God? And I think this is important. I think this is probably a part of this text that when it's preached, including when I've taught on it before, that I've not really brought out before. You'll remember in chapter 10, in fact, go back to chapter number 10 really quickly. It's only a page away. In chapter number 10, in verse number 14, God's speaking to the Israelites, and he says this, go and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. I just talked to you about that. Let them deliver you into the time, in the time of your tribulation. And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, we have sinned. Do thou unto us whatsoever seemeth good unto thee, Deliver us only, we pray thee, uh, this day. Oh, no, I'm reading the wrong verses. I'm sorry. Go up to verse number 13. I'm so sorry. Verse 13. Yet ye have forsaken me and served other gods, wherefore I will deliver you no more. And you can see why that's the verse that's important with what we're talking about. Could it have been that Jephthah, a man who was godly, could have been a Jephthah, a man of faith, could have been Jephthah, by the way, who had the spirit of the Lord in him, and I'll tell you something that's messed with my mind over the last two weeks looking at this text is here's a man who had the spirit of the Lord in him and still made a grave mistake. By the way, just because you're filled with the spirit doesn't mean that you're perfect. Just because you're filled with the spirit doesn't mean that you that you don't ever make foolish mistakes. We got to be so careful uh, because even if you are filled with the spirit, you are not the spirit. The spirit doesn't make mistakes, but we can make mistakes. And I've, I've wrestled with that verse and that thought really the last couple of weeks say pastor what's your conclusions i don't have a conclusion yet with it i'm just telling you uh, what i thought of is that how could a man filled with the spirit do something so foolish but could it have been that he was so zealous because he thought god would not deliver them that he thought he was going out to certain doom that he thought the people of israel would have no victory 
And so he was trying to do whatever he could on his part to make sure that Israel had the victory. He was trying to show his earnestness. He was trying to, I don't think there's anything phony about this. Uh, he just wanted to serve the Lord so bad. And he wanted the people of Israel to have a victory so bad that perhaps he thought, well, I will make a vow. Now, he didn't know it was going to be his daughter. I'm not suggesting that he did. I'm not saying that he thought that that would be a justifiable trade in his mind. He didn't think that. But in his zeal and earnestness to want God to do something, in his zeal and earnestness to want Israel to have the yoke of the Ammonites thrown off of them, uh, he just made a vow. And he says, listen, I'll do whatever I've got to do. Lord, will you do what we know we can't do ourselves? And so in a way, there's something admirable about the thought. It was the execution, no pun intended, that was awful about this vow. And let's also take another moment here. This is not my message tonight. But before we get too far, can we say this? We have to be so careful with our tongue and the things that we say. We have to be so incredibly careful. The tongue that we have uh, can give life or it can give death. I've heard it said this way. Our tongue is a divine healer or a devilish murderer. You decide. Uh, it is the, this text is a literal fulfillment of Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And I find that as a Christian, we are sometimes far too careless with the tongue that God has given us. We are far too quick to gossip. We are far too quick uh, to lie. We are far too quick to bend the truth, to get our own way. We are far too quick to be uh, 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 really... Uh, loose with the truth or loose with the facts to try to bend the arc of a story uh, to whether we, either we are the hero or either we are the one that have been done wrong. Uh, we had to be so careful with our tongue. Uh, not only that, it, one of the most sobering verses in all of the Bible is Matthew 12, 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. I mean, you want to know a verse you don't want to think of too much? That's one right there. What about Matthew 5, 37? But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more of these cometh of evil. That as Christians, we must be precise with our tongue. That we're precise in how we talk. We're precise that we are healers, that we are builders with our tongue. That even when we have to give rebuke with our tongue, and that is part of preaching, that is part of even how we are to treat one another, that we rebuke one another in love, we are to judge righteous judgment, that when those times come, even then, we use our tongue as a way not to try to rebuke to get vengeance or rebuke to get a pound of flesh, but we do so because we want to help a brother or sister in Christ. And we do so in love and compassion. And this text, if nothing else, is a reminder to us, we better be careful how we use our tongue because you want to talk about no do-overs? How many times did you let a word fly out of your mouth and you wish that you could reel it back in and stuff it in? Before you knew it, it was too late. Because once they go, they're gone. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me is one of the biggest lies ever said in mankind. Because some of you remember things that were said to you when you were children. And they still come back with Satan dredging up old memories. Well, let us not be the ones to do that to another generation. Let us not be the ones to do so. We must be careful with our tongue. But there's another reality I want to point out tonight from this text that we really must guard against. And this is what I want us to, what I want to start by pointing out here this evening is this. Jephthah was a man of God who sacrificed his family for the work of God. He was a man of God who sacrificed his family for the work of God. 
He was a man who was zealous about the things of God, endowed by the Spirit, and a man of faith. Yet his zeal got the best of him, and he ended up sacrificing his own daughter for the works of the ministry. Is it right to be zealous for the ministry? Yes. Is it right to be zealous for the things of God? Yes. In fact, Paul talked about the house of Stephanus, the ones who were addicted to the ministry of the saints. And I would say there's a lot more people today uh, who have very little to do with the ministry than there are people that probably need to back off a little bit and make sure that they have balance in their life. Uh, there's very few people in church life that I had to say, whoa, hold off. You're helping too much. You're serving too much. Let's just be honest about that tonight. But I do think there is a reality for us tonight that when we look at this, that he was a man who was willing to sacrifice his family, unwittingly so, for the work of God. You know, there are many great pastors who end up doing the same for the cause of Christ. Maybe you've known some through the years that they were all too glad to help the church while their family was in ruins and in tatters. I see that here in our text. A great man of faith. Well, I wonder if he would have traded in Hebrews chapter 11 to not have to go through the horrors of what he went through at the end of the chapter. Billy Sunday, you probably know the name, was the most famous and successful evangelist of the early 1900s. But did you know the whole story of Billy Sunday? And I'm not trying to take away from his ministry, but I do want to give you a more well-rounded idea of his life. He was a flamboyant professional baseball player who met Christ at the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago. Within a few years, he had formed a very successful crusade team, which captured media attention all over the country, including here in Boston. His is remembered as a colorful preacher who not only led multitudes to Christ, but also led the fight against ending, um, but also led the fight uh, for prohibition. Billy Sunday would be considered a success by almost any standard. Yet he lamented, the great tragedy of my life is that though I have led thousands to Christ, my own sons are not saved. Indeed, his sons mocked their father's ministry and were drunks with horrible family lives, one of whom ended his life by suicide. It was the practice of the Sundays to leave their children in the care of a nanny while they pursued their ministry. I wonder if there were some decisions they wished that they had changed in their zeal for the ministry. And who am I to be able to be a judge of Billy Sunday and his ministry? But I would say this, I don't have to be a judge to say that if I knew uh, a decision that he wished he could have taken back. It would be to somewhere along the line make sure that he could have invested more in his children, that he, that he hadn't sacrificed his children on the altar of the ministry. About five or six years ago, I was sitting at a preacher's meeting, and I'm going to say this, and Diane's going to know exactly who I'm talking about and where I was when it happened. And I talked to a preacher uh, who has done more in his life for the Lord than, than I could ever say that I could have. And I'm not trying to belittle this preacher one bit, this man of God, and I use the, man, the, word, the title man of God because I believe that that's what he is, a man of God. He pastored a church, pioneered a church in an area where there were no independent Baptist churches, a place that was so hard to the gospel that we would look at it and say, wow, even from our perspective, that would be difficult. But I remember sitting across from him years, years after the first establishment of the church, but then also some other churches in the area. And I remember saying this, he talked of his children. He says, you know, when I look at all that we've accomplished, he says, I've lost all my children except for one. And he pointed to his son that was there at the table. And he looked at his son, he said this, but you know what? Sometimes I guess that's the price of planning a church. And I'm in no position to rebuke this pastor. 
I have no desire to rebuke this pastor. But I had to wonder, even as I was sitting at that table, as a pastor who doesn't have it all together, but I had to wonder, even at that moment, if God actually required your family as the price of payment to start a church. I believe the answer is no. That God would desire to have a church planted on the blood of the children of the pastor and the pastor's wife. To me, it seems like a false dichotomy, a false choice. Ministry or family? You know, I heard Pastor Chris Baker, I've mentioned him before, he's the pastor of the Naughty Oak Baptist Church in Coventry, Rhode Island, and I heard him say this, and as soon as he said it, it rung in my ears. He said this, God's responsibilities never conflict. God's responsibilities never conflict. I don't know that I've ever heard four more powerful words, at least in the realm of someone who is in ministry to understand. I hope it's a help to you tonight. God's responsibilities never conflict. God never required Jephthah to sacrifice his daughter to win the battle. And he never requires a pastor to sacrifice his family on behalf of the gospel ministry. Now, I say this tonight because I know many of you agree with this, and you have been beyond generous to us as a family. Uh, I have never felt the pull as a pastor to be able to do pastorly, quote-unquote, things, uh, because if I don't do those things, even if it's at the expense of my family and at the expense of my family's health and all those things, because if I don't do those things, then uh, maybe there'll be a church business meeting, or maybe there'll be some angry people, or maybe there'll be... I have never felt that. I have never felt an inkling of that. I've felt quite the opposite. Uh, I, I will say I've even had people over the years and even over the last few months and weeks who have said, Pastor, do you need time? Pastor, do you need to take some time off with your family? Uh, Pastor, do you need to take care of family business? And I'm telling you tonight that that means more to me. Again, financial gifts and that are great. Listen, Thank you, by the way. I spent some of it this week uh, with you on my mind. Thank you for that. But can I tell you, one of the best things that you can give me as a pastor is not just uh, the idea that, that we are all in this together and that you want to serve with me, but that you understand uh, that it's not the sacrifice of the family that makes the church go. And what you do is not just being a nice person or being nice people, but what you are doing is actually quite biblical. And that's what I want to get across to you in this point tonight is not that, uh, that you don't do this already, but what I'm saying is what you are doing just because uh, you are kind-hearted people, you are actually fulfilling what I believe is a biblical obligation for a church to be able to make sure that the needs of the pastor's home are met. Listen, if I can't fulfill the needs of the home, then you go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and tell me if I can be a pastor or not. Because every church concentrates on 1 Timothy chapter 3 where it says the husband of one wife because that's the one that's easy to figure out. But there's other ones that aren't as easy to figure out. Like ruleth his own house well. Hospitable. And on and on it goes. Go to Titus, well don't do it right now, Titus chapter 1 or 1 Timothy chapter 3 and read it. Uh, some of them, like the husband of one wife, are easy to quantify. The rest are not. And what does that mean? Well, God's responsibilities never conflict. It is possible to be a pastor and a father. It is possible to be a pastor and a husband. It is possible to be a, a, a pastor uh, and a family man. Absolutely, uh, it is. And many pastors are more than willing to offer their families on the altar of ministry or on the altar of self-promotion or on the, uh, or on the uh, illusion of leadership. And, and listen to this. None of them do it on purpose. There's not a one that I found 
that says, you know what, I would like a position of leadership in independent Baptist circles, and if I have to climb over my family to get there, I'll do it. There's not a one that's ever said that, but neither did Jephthah. He just said this, I will do whatever it takes to get God's blessing. And that's not what God required. So you listen to this tonight and you say, well, pastor, hey, that's a great message. I mean, let's go home. It has nothing to do with me. Oh, if only you were that lucky. Oh, I get to preach to me tonight a little bit. And by the way, what I'm preaching to you is a reminder to me. And, and, and can I just give you a little bit of inside baseball tonight? Can I kind of take you behind the curtain just a little bit tonight before I get to you just a little bit more uh, about me? Uh, it's not all about me, but just a, a little bit more about that. Uh, there is a struggle for me as a pastor to be able to make sure I balance the home life and the church life. It is a struggle. I remember when I was in my fourth year of Bible college, we were in a class called Practical Ministry, and none other than Sam Davis and himself was talking about this very issue. And he said this, he says, while you're in ministry, boys, he says, you remember this, he says, you better always struggle between your home and your family. I thought, always? Like, aren't you supposed to get to the point where you never struggle between your home and your family? And he said this, you always struggle between the home and the family. He says, that means you haven't given in to one or the other. He said, there's always a natural tension, like a rope, that both sides are being pulled. He says, you just want to make sure that it doesn't get pulled to the point that you snap. But he says, if you don't have a natural tension, that means you've given in completely to the family, which, by the way, that's what some churches do to its detriment. Oh, don't call pastor. It's his day off. Well, but I'm in the hospital. <laughs> Not that that's ever happened. Well, my family knows if someone's in the hospital, it's my day off. It's not my day off anymore. You know why? Because I'm a pastor. You know, people don't die on my schedule. And they don't go to the hospital on my schedule. And that's okay, because I'm a pastor. It's all right. But I also can't give in to the church to the point that if there's a need in our family, that I just ignore it and say, well, God will, God's in control. God will take care of it. Well, I've seen God take care of it, and pastors ignore that to the point that all of a sudden, some of you know pastors who you've heard preach before, families aren't even together anymore. That was never God's intention. So there's a natural tension between the home and the church. But let's take a moment to shine the light of the word of God away from me because I'm uncomfortable enough with that tonight. And let's put it back on you for a few moments. There's a broader application here tonight that I think belongs to everyone, and that's this. It's never right to sacrifice that which is right for something that which is right. Let me say that again. It's never right to sacrifice that which is right for that which is right. Now, well, I said it right the first time, but I think I said it right the second time. It's never right to sacrifice that which is right for that which is right. And it may sound confusing, but, but I, I want you to follow me for a second. Satan is good at giving us false choices. Can I put it this way? Jephthah's paradox. In fact, if I had a subtitle for tonight's message, it would be this, Jephthah's Paradox. My daughter or the victory? Well, that's not God giving you that choice. That's Satan. Remember that, that God's responsibilities never conflict. Let me give you some illustrations. If this sounds too abstract for you, let me bring it down to, to something that we can, can really relate to tonight. I'm going to give you some scenarios that I have been told before by people attending church. 
something like this. Maybe it's been a long few weeks and you just feel like you should sleep in on Sunday. I mean, after all, you might, if you don't, if you don't rest now, you're going to end up losing your kids. You're going to end up losing your spouse. They're going to become bitter at church. I mean, sure, I know I'm supposed to be at church, but my kids need a rest. My wife, my husband, whoever it may be, they're not totally on board anyway. And, and I know I need to be in God's house, but, but if I don't just disconnect for a week or two weeks or three weeks or, or, or whatever it is, then, then I, I'm, this is what I've got to do. How about this? Well, I know God has called me to tithe. But, you know, I also have some other responsibilities as well. I mean, and sure, God wants me to tithe, but, but I need money for things in life. And so I've got to take care of these other things as well. And so I know that I'm supposed to give uh, to the Lord, but I mean, how am I supposed to take care of these other things? Or maybe there are some who believe that they have to decide if their walk for Christ needs to be sacrificed to stay with the spouse. Well, she's not with this church thing. He doesn't think I should be going to church. Is it even worth going to church? I mean, I'd still be a Christian and not go to church. I mean, I, I, I can't lose my wife. I mean, and my wife and my kids, I mean, what am I going to do? I'm going to strain the marriage so far that there's no going back. Maybe there's some that have known that the Holy Spirit has told them there's something he wants them to accomplish, a ministry to, to fulfill in a church. But maybe you don't feel like you have the time or the responsibilities to be able to keep up. You know, I know what God wants me to do. I feel clearly he wants me to do this in the church, but I just don't see how I'm going to be able to do this with all the other responsibilities that I have as well. To give in to one or the other is to put yourself in the place of a false choice. It's Jephthah's paradox. Church or family? It could be church and family. Tithes or bills? It can be tithes and bills. Walk with Christ or spouse? It can be walk for Christ and spouse. Work of the ministry and my time? It can be both. Can you think of more illustrations in your own life? I mean, that's just a few that I can think of. I mean, think of this. For one to live, the other is not required to die. Well, I want to win the battle, but something's got to die first. Well, it ain't to be something that you're not expecting. That's what happened to Jephthah. See, God's commanded us to be in God's house. So what do we do? We go to God's house. But I don't think, hold on a second. We go to God's house. But he's also commanded you to take care of the family that he's given you. First Peter 3, 8. Finally, be ye, and it's talking of husbands and wives, all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. You're required to follow both. I didn't just say the church part, because that's the part that's self-serving. The family part, too. So what do you do? I got to pick one or the other. No, that's Jephthah's paradox. You pick both. God's responsibilities never conflict. Why would God tell you to do both and not allow you to be able to do both? No, no, think about that for a second. God commanded you to do both. If you have to pick between one or the other commands, then who's God? 
If God told you to do both, he will give you the ability, he will give you the resources, and he'll help you. What it comes down to is a matter of faith. What it comes down to is, well, I think if I do both, then this is going to happen. Well, you don't know what's going to happen. It could just be, if you fulfill both, that God will bring blessings and help in your life as you are filled with the Spirit of God, and he will do that which you cannot think. And so while you're trying to hold on to the pittance that you have, and it feels like everything is crumbling around you, what God's trying to do is to build and to help and to to give. Uh, but what you're doing is fighting against what God's trying to do in your life. And I've seen family after family, and I'm so tired. Oh, and I'm tired of it. I'm not tired of the people, but I'm tired of what Satan does in these families uh, where, where he gets them to the point where they think, well, well if, I'll lose my family if I serve God. No, no. You will lose your family if you don't serve God. You will lose your family if you don't serve God. That doesn't mean you're not mindful of your family. That doesn't mean you take them on a trip. Or you spend time with them. Or you go out on Sunday afternoon or Sunday night and go do something fun. Or if someone's sick, you stay home. Well, pastor says I got to be here. I mean, you got to be at church. I'm sick. Stay home if you're sick. By the way, I haven't been preaching that since 2020. I preached that before 2020. If you're sick, stay home. Take care of the temple that God has given you. But it doesn't have to be one or the other. Well, I got bills and I got a tithe. Well, did, I, did God tell you to pay your obligations? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Render to God what is God's. What about Romans 13, 7? Render therefore to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Has God commanded us to tithe? Well, I mean, before the law, during the law, and after the law. I don't have enough time to go over all the verses for that. But if God told you to pay your obligations and God commanded you to tithe, see, but Pastor, that don't make any sense. Welcome to tithing. Welcome to missions. But yet I give and over and over and over and over, God does what I can't do myself. But when you get to the false decision of, I've got to do one or the other, no, no, God commanded both. So don't make yourself a tin hat God and make yourself to the point where you get to choose between what God said here or here, whichever is most convenient. What you're doing is robbing yourself of the blessings that God's trying to do in your life. Robbing yourself of the lessons that God is trying to teach you. I was just in someone's home just a few weeks ago and they were telling me, Pastor, uh, they're not here uh, at this church, but they said, Pastor, we started tithing and all of a sudden, we had more money than we knew what to do with. Now, what they weren't saying is they were loaded. I don't think any of us would necessarily say that, but they're saying, the money that I'm giving, I should have needed that. But not only do I not need it, but it seems like I have extra where I wasn't expecting it. Well, where did that come from? From not giving in to Jephthah's paradox and saying, I'm not going to sacrifice uh, my finances uh, for the sake of tithes and offerings. I'm not going to sacrifice my tithes and offerings on the sake of the finances. I'm just going to do both and trust God. You know, God commanded love for a husband and a wife. And I know there's sometimes staff, uh, staff uh, there's sometimes, <laughs> I hope it doesn't seem like you're on staff at home, but I mean, the, that, uh, you know, a staff member's relationship, but, uh, you know, in the home, uh, there can be difficulty between husband and wife. And sometimes you might feel that a relationship with God will exasperate it. Make it worse. And you know, in the short term, it may. But we have to trust God for what he says. 
Does God command husband to love wife? Yes. Does God command wife to love husband? Yes. Does God command us all to have a walk with God? Yes. So what do we do? Well, I got to pick one or the other. No, you don't. You do both. Don't, don't, don't be a Jephthah. Don't sacrifice that which is good for that which is good. You know, God's commanded us to follow his leading in ministry with trusting obedience, even if we don't see how we can perform it. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Well, pastor, I don't want to minister in the church because there's things I'm trying to do or I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this. Listen, if God has called you, do what he said, uh, trust him for the other things and just give it all to him. And he'll do that which you can't do yourself. When Satan wants you to choose between two responsibilities, choose both. You know why? Because there's no do-overs. You say, Pastor, I, I read the end of this text. You kind of glossed over it. What happened to her? Well, you can read all kinds of commentaries with all kinds of thoughts. And there are many that take the tack that he didn't actually sacrifice her. The fact was that she remained a virgin for the rest of her life, and that's why it seemed like there were several verses that focused in on the fact that she bewailed her virginity. You, you saw that phrase that was in there. So it wasn't necessarily, as some would say, that he sacrificed her. It was that uh, the sacrifice in and of itself was that he was giving up uh, her to live as a virgin for the rest of her life, to not be married, to not uh, extend another family's line, and so on, even though his line was already not going to be extended because he had a daughter, as we mentioned last week. Here, here's where I have a problem with this. Either the Bible's the Bible or it's not. Because here's what I read. Verse number 39. And it came to pass at the end of the two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed. And she knew no man, and it was a custom in Israel. They passed her. That's not very good. I hate to tell you, you keep reading Judges, it gets worse. You say, well, he should have broken his vow and at least gotten in trouble with the Lord for breaking his vow and left her alive. If it was me, I would have wanted to go in the hands of the Lord knowing that my daughter was alive. But this isn't you. This isn't me. This is Jephthah. We don't have to agree with it. We don't have to understand it. We just have to take it for what it is. And wasn't the Bible written for our example? Wasn't it written for our understanding? And isn't there a principle here of a good man who made an awful mistake? And because of that, there was no do-over. She was, in my opinion, sacrificed. Do I like preaching that to you tonight? I don't. Would I like a loophole for that? Sure I would. But I see what I see here. But I see that there's a real application for us tonight. You know, before we're done, I'll say this. I want to go all the way back to the beginning. Some of us have made some bad decisions of which there's no do-overs. We actually gave in to one or the other in one of these areas. It's very possible. And by the way, again, this isn't just all about church. Well, give yourself to the church. Are you not hearing this? Two right choices. 
two right choices. Jephthah was not more spiritual because he gave in to the work of the Lord at the expense of his family. That didn't make him more spiritual. I don't think any of us looks at it like that. So it's not just about church. It's about these things when Satan's trying to get us to choose between one and the other. Here's what I know. There are some of us who have made some pretty bad decisions of which there are no do-overs. May I remind you what I said at the beginning? There are no do-overs, but there's always forgiveness. There's always forgiveness. And that while you cannot change the decisions you made of the past, there is a God who is good and just and right that can forgive you and that can help you from today to start to make the right decisions and perhaps even create a legacy despite the mistakes of the past, a legacy that you can build upon to help future generations. He was never going to get his daughter back, but he was still a man of faith. That's hard to reconcile, but it's what his story was. A lot of us have complicated stories that are hard to reconcile. But I know this, is forgiveness real? Yes. Can God help us? Yes. Can God, even when we try to sacrifice one good thing for the sake of another good thing, can God bring healing to a home? Can God bring healing to a marriage? Could God bring healing to future generations of a family? Could God bring healing to a church? Could God grow a church? Despite bad decisions in the past, the answer is yes. But it really starts back with what Israel did in chapter number 10, and that's this, and we're done. They said this, Lord, we don't know what you're going to do, but we just know this. We put ourselves at your mercy. God, not going to give you a do-over. He may help you wallpaper over it. He may help you beautify around it. He may not for his reasons that we don't know. But know this, if you appeal to him in repentance, he will forgive. He will help. And you can start from this day on not needing a do-over because you decided not to sacrifice something which was good, like Jephthah, for something which was good. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org. Or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.